0: Hello and welcome. This is Lavinia Spirito with Mary Lou Nemechek. and today in this show we're going to try and unpack a little bit about the life of St. Francis and the life of St. Clair and maybe even the life of St. Catherine of Siena. Why are we going to do this? Because we will be undertaking a pilgrimage um, to the to the hometown of Francis and Clair and the hometown of Catherine, Siena, um, in, in less than two weeks. And so I don't know what if you when you will be listening to this podcast, but it's always a nice uh, reminder of our rich legacy as Catholic Church and the patrimony of the saints. And you know what? I think there is probably no saint that is as as popular as Saint Francis.
1: Well, we're we're just ending. Well, we're still in the Christmas season. But we wouldn't have had a nativity scenes if it wasn't for St. Francis. Mm-hmm. So each Christmas, we're reminded of of what that wonderful gift that he gave to us of setting up a creche. St.
0: Francis of Assisi is perhaps one of the saints that are, are separated brethren love. I know several evangelical Protestants who love St. Francis, who love what he stood for. Who, you know, it's kind of, we're going to unpack his life a little bit, but it's hard to, to Express the spiritual authority and power of somebody who presents themselves before you as having nothing in an earthly sense, you know, as there's nothing in it for them, quote unquote, the way we would say today. Well, what's in it for them? You know, we immediately suspect someone, you know, who presents themselves perhaps in a different way. And uh, Francis is one of those people who it's all up out front and he has automatic spiritual authority. So I've been, I'm just going to go by my, a little bit of my notes that I've been taking because we're going to have a retreat, a little bit of a retreat uh, in our upcoming pilgrimage in the footsteps of Francis and Claire. Um, what to say about Francis? You know, I mean, some people look at him and they say, oh, he was the first environmentalist, you know, <laughs> no, that's he not what was- animals. You know, he loved animals and he was like a, you know, sort of a freaky environmentalist wild-eyed proto-environmentalist but in fact uh yeah no that's not what he was yes of course did he love god's creation absolutely are there some amazing stories of him with animals yeah but there are some amazing stories of other saints with animals as well i'm not sure that his first priority was the environment okay i think his first priority and what makes him really special is that he was really the poster child for conversion and mission for holiness and mission, holiness and mission. So I think that's kind of the key in which we will present him. He is really a wake-up call, I think, for our materialist century. He is a, uh, you know, he's he's basically his main all his main message is God is real. You know, in this materialist secular society that we live in, we have a poster child for the effect that God is real, and. A relationship with him is real, and it's worth everything to pursue. Everything
1: to pursue, right? And that's what we have to strive for.
0: Absolutely. I mean, when you you can go as far back as a thousand years before Francis, there was a guy named Anthony who lived in Egypt,
1: oh, and yeah. he heard
0: the same passage as Francis did. If you would follow me, go and sell all you have, and follow me. You know, uh, Jesus's words to the rich young man. Mm -hmm. And Anthony did the same thing. He went and sold it. He was a rich man and he sold everything and he went after the Lord in his particular environment and he became St. Anthony of the Desert, the founder really of monasticism the way we know it, monasticism, right? right?
1: The Mm -hmm. idea of
0: living in consecrated communities, celibate communities. He in, in a certain sense was the founder of the whole monastic movement. And a thousand years later, Francis, Francesco, um, heard the similar message, but did he hear it immediately? Was he like St. Catherine of Siena? No, he did not hear it immediately. Right? I mean, St. Catherine had visions of Jesus when she was five and six years old. Mm-hmm. And how cool is that? I mean, like I always say, it's great work if you can get it. <laughs> yeah. But, but for those of us who did not have uh, visions of Jesus when we were five and six, I think... Francis is a, is a great example because he was very spoiled. You know, he was, first of all, his name, Francesco was a nickname because his real name was Giovanni, but his mother was French. And so they basically called him Frenchy. That's what Francesco would have been of France or French, Francesco. And he was a son of a wealthy uh, cloth merchant Married to a beautiful French woman, and he was born in 1181. So, uh, I always like to, to kind of look at things in terms of the Norman conquest, you know, 1066, when um, William the Conqueror came in and took over England from Normandy. And this is a century after that, you know, so just to place it in history. And he was born in, in the beautiful area of Umbria, region of Umbria. In the Duchy of Spoleto. Have you ever been to Spoleto? Spoleto's no. beautiful. Spoleto's another incredible, dreamy, medieval town with a beautiful castle. And so he was very, he had a very spoiled life early on, right? He was self absorbed, he was superficial, he dropped out of school, he was a dropout. Um, he just loved, he knew he was going to be in the chips because he was going to take over his family's business. And he wanted to be a knight and he wanted to be a, a troubadour and, you know, like that whole courtly uh, tradition that we have uh, coming in out of France from Provence. We have this whole uh, ideal of the perfect woman who is then eventually is the Virgin Mary, of course, and <clears throat> the, the chivalric ideals, right? He wanted to be mm-hmm. a singer, a troubadour, compose songs. Well, he did, right? right? He did compose know. songs. He did sing them, but for a different audience, right? Um, because he wanted to be a knight, he got he went into the army. Okay, this is something I'm going to have to explain to everybody. In uh, the early Middle Ages, well, actually, this is more like the High Middle Ages in the in the 1200s and 1300s. All the Italian city states. And now we see unified Italy, but they were all originally. Um, nations of themselves almost, right? Right, And we fought uh, and so each other. They fought each other all the time. Like Siena and Florence, who are like, I don't know, 30 minutes apart today by car, um, had a blood feud. I mean, they hated mm-hmm. each other. Neither. Poor yeah. Dante Alighieri was the victim of that. He had to be in exile for the rest of his life. Um, and Catherine of Siena spent a lot of her life uh, mediating the wars Me between Siena mm-hmm. and Florence. Well, Assisi and Perugia, Perugia is the sort of, today it's the capital of Umbria, also were in a war. So basically, you're in a town, you're in a wall town, you're a world universe of your own, and you're going to war against everybody else. And so Francis enrolled in the army of Assisi uh, to uh, go against the town of Perugia, and unfortunately, uh, he they got beaten soundly. Assisi, Assisi was defeated by the armies of Perugia. And at the time, they didn't take prisoners. They would go and execute all the prisoners, all the people left on the field. But because he was recognized by his rich armor and clothes, they realized that they could hold him for ransom. Mm. So they did so hold he, him captive, yeah. they spent He spent almost a year in a dank dungeon uh, in Perugia uh, waiting to be redeemed you know because that's the proper term of the word redeemed is to buy somebody back and that's what happened he was ransomed by his father unfortunately the francisco that left and the francisco that turned back that came back were two different people in the, some people think that in his captivity he may have received a dream in which the lord commanded him to follow the master and not the servant. So what was he doing? He was putting all his earthly, you know, wherewithal in the battles, in in, in, in you know, in secular stuff. But he was invited to instead follow
1: the master and not the servant. Do you have anything else, Mary Lou, about his early life? Well, in that dream, he saw a vast hall hung with armor, all marked with the cross. These set of voice are for you and your soldiers. I know I shall be a great prince," exclaimed Francis. Um, but a sec- he had a, a he had an illness after that too mm-hmm. And Spolito. I guess he was, and I think it was he had another dream that told him to go back to Assisi. So I guess he didn't go back right away. Yeah, I mean, you know, think about. When everything was on horseback, everything
0: was a bit farther away, right? Assisi and Perugia right now are, I think, less than an hour apart by car. Right. And, um, <clears throat> but anyway, he did get sick, and he had a permanent illness after that. had a low fever for a very long time. Right. So, I, you know, it sounds like tuberculosis to me. It sounds like some form of a, of a, of a chronic mm-hmm. illness because he mm-hmm. did die at 44. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of, well... He put his body through quite a bit, so who knows, right? Uh, After coming back from the war and from being ransomed, he kind of wandered a little bit and didn't really go back to his dissipated life. And it was the watershed moment of meeting a leper on the road um, in and around Assisi that kind of was one of the main moments of his conversion. Now, what I like about Francis is that he had all these signposts
1: but his conversion was gradual. He didn't recognize everything that he he was seeing. He didn't he didn't like immediately say,
0: "Okay, I'm gonna sell everything. I'm mm-hmm. gonna become Saint Francis." You know that kind of stuff. Um, I'm gonna have followers, etc. He just said he was on a personal journey, and I think that should speak mm-hmm. to a lot of
1: us. You know, mm-hmm. we're all on personal
0: journeys. The Lord is giving us signposts. Sometimes He's giving us dreams.
1: We always see, you know things in hindsight, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And until a little bit later, we realize what that meant, where God was leading us, what he was Mm -hmm. telling us.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I like the fact that it was kind of a gradual conversion, that he met this leper, that he embraced the leper, much is made of of that, uh, because the prior Francis would have run away screaming, right? I mean, he wouldn't have anything to do with the leper. Now, what was leprosy was an incredible... Uh, contagious disease called Hansen's disease, which uh, resulted in basically death—you know, with your whole body rotting off—as um, as a as a part of it. And yet, he embraced this leper and kissed him. And so that's kind of another sort of check in his gradual conversion. Eventually, he arrives into a uh, a ruined church in twelve oh six. So remember, twelve oh two. 1203, he comes back. In 1206, there's like the sort of one of the main moments of his conversion. He's in the little church of San Damiano, and he is praying, uh, and he's thinking about how he can serve the Lord, and he hears a voice from the crucifix. Now, what is the San Damiano crucifix? It may be one of the most beautiful, popular, prevalent, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, kinds of, of early Byzantine or late Byzantine art, which is this crucifix of San Damiano, which I'm sure everybody would recognize. And he heard the voice of the crucifix saying in Italian, Francesco, vai ripara la mia chiesa, che come vidi tutta rovina, Francis, go, repair my church, which, as you see, is in ruins. And I love how he's literal-minded, he's like, okay, I'm going to go to... get my home hammer De- out home depot right now and i'm going to yeah. go get all my stuff and i'm going to yeah. go
1: we're going to rebuild the church
0: right mm-hmm. and he found this little rex church called the portiuncola and in Ita- in early italian porzione means portion and uncola is a is a is a diminutive so little portion little would portion. be the word the the way this church was looked at tiny little church and so it was ruined and so he decided that he was going to Go repair it, because that's what the Lord told him to do, right? As you can see, this church is in ruins. And so he started to try to repair this church, but actually what he didn't realize was the Lord was calling him to reform the church itself. Which, talk about a young man with high ideals. No kidding. Right? Who wanted to be a knight. That certainly is. But nobody would have known how he would go about... Doing all this right, and so he did. He did basically wanted to raise money to rebuild the churches, and unfortunately, he got in trouble with his dad because what happened? He sold a bolt of cloth. He was a cloth merchant, right? And his horse, mm-hmm. which basically it's like selling your car. You know, you sell your car, you sell uh, a piece of daddy's inventory to finance the repairs of these ruined churches. So you are Messer Bernardino, and your son, who's acting really strange ever since he came back from captivity, actually starts selling off the merchandise in order to for this fool errand of repairing churches. I think all parents should put themselves in the in the, the shoes of Bernardino. I think it's easy to condemn him because after all the guy turns out to be Saint Francis, right?
1: right. But for <clears> the <throat> But really, at the time, he thought your son lost his mind,
0: right? And yeah. then what do you think you're doing, right? And if it's so finally, he went to the bishop, you know, I like it's interesting to see how the bishop is considered to be also sort of a secular authority, right? Not that he was meant to be. He didn't drag him before the count or the Duke or the whatever, you know, he grabbed him before the local bishop. And the bishop said, Francesco, honey, you got to return your dad's stuff. You know, it's not yours. And he stripped off his clothes. Famous scene. If you, when we go to Assisi, you'll see it's represented by Giotto.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Francesco kind of stripping down to his underwear, saying, Okay, take back your clothes, take back everything. I will pay you back. But from now on, God is my father. And that's. Kind of sad because I would like to think that there was some form of communication Mm -hmm. between Francesco and his father, right? As a parent, you always hope that it's not a final break, right? So the next step is interesting because the the bishop, because Francesco was naked, right? Gave him a burlap bag, gave him very rough clothes, hermit Mm -hmm. clothes, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. Gave him a burlap bag, which is basically the equivalent of a garbage bag at the time. It was basically going around dressed, today we have plastic garbage bags, and then they were burlap bags. And so he gave him a burlap, a rope, sandals, and a staff. And those were the uniform, really, in a certain sense, of hermits. Unfortunately, after this incredible high moment, which is very realistic, I thought, he leaves his the presence, he's dressed in burlap, he's going to have this new life. And the first people he meets are thieves who beat him badly and leave him for dead on the road. Of course, he doesn't die, but he's, you know, doesn't seem to make any difference to him, right? And then it, we have at this, this point the ideal, this Franciscan ideal of poverty whereby you own nothing. And everything that you have is given to you by God, which we really kind of hope to live, all of us, Right. Realizing that even the things, quote unquote, that we own or the things, quote unquote, that we've earned are things that the God, that the Lord has given us, given us. Right. Maybe we don't need to get to the point of that extreme, you know, poverty thing. Mm -hmm. But, but, you know, so. Basically, he just decided that that's what he was going to do. He was going to be completely detached from earthly riches. He was going to live in absolute poverty. And it gave him that no-nonsense kind of spiritual authority that we see, and we've seen in St. Clair, we see also in Mother Teresa or in Catherine of Siena. When the person speaking to you is challenging you and has absolutely nothing to gain from an earthly perspective, um, it gives him that authority. There's nothing in it for the speaker, and so they achieve this spiritual authority and power. And I think that's what happened to him. So what happened? Uh, a bunch of young of his young friends and other people decided they were going to follow him, and so he had a big following pretty quickly. And so they went as far as Santiago de Compostela. There was a few that went to North Africa trying to get martyred. I've never understood that, but. And Francis himself, with some friends, went down to see uh, in in North Africa, in Egypt, uh, the commander of the Muslim troops, Sultan al-Kamil, who, and it's amazing, because instead of putting him to death, he, he recognized that this guy was different, that he was holy, that he actually meant it. He had that spiritual authority, right? Right. He was dressed in a garbage bag, for goodness sakes, right? And they actually became friends. And... Uh, Francis and Sultan Al-Kamil apparently spoke for several days and shared. And Francis made a huge impression on on Sultan Al-Kamil because Sultan Al-Kamil from then on tried to keep making peace with his Christian enemies during the Crusades. And he was the one trying to make peace and the Christian enemies were the ones who kept rejecting it, which is interesting. Mm
1: -hmm. The idea
0: of the impression, right? So... um, in 1224, Francesco went onto Monte Averna, which is about 100 miles from Assisi, so far, and received a vision that left him with the stigmata. And he's the first, mm-hmm. really, saint that we can actually know uh, that we know of, recorded uh, to uh, to receive the stigmata, the wounds of Christ, the wounds of the crucifixion. They would remain visible for the rest of his life.
1: Life, mm-hmm.
0: and. Um, that's. I think that's just a whole fascinating thing. I think in the next show, we will continue on Francisco's life and Claire and Catherine. But I just wanted to give you all a beginning taste of uh, the type of personality that we're going to be seeing in Assisi. And also, if you're not going with us, too, you know, give Francis a closer look. He's there for all of us. He's there, especially in our secular materialist world, to point the way that there is a god and that there is a relationship with him and that God blesses you and that and that there is really no reason to live for anything else
1: thank you for joining us